All right, one more announcement. Uh, anybody in this room ever heard of Preston Sprinkle? You guys, okay. Preston's very well known. He has a, a, a podcast called Theology in the Raw. Um, he engages some really difficult conversations uh, amongst Christians. And um, Preston, about a year ago, Preston has a conference called Faith, Sexuality, and Gender. And our elders and some of our staff live streamed the conference last year and we're just blown away at the way he's able to engage hard conversations and still hold on to biblical truth, but help the church actually engage these conversations and be full of love and compassion and grace. And um, so we, we watched this about a year ago. We were blown away by it. About six months ago, we called Preston and we were like, hey, what would it take to have you come up and just do like a one night thing with our church? We'd love to have you come speak. Um, we think you'd just be a real blessing to our community. And uh, they said, well, actually, we, we want to do three of those conferences next year, and we were looking for one to do in the Northwest and hadn't chosen a city to do it in, so would you guys want to host it? And so we said, yeah, by all means, like, we'd love to do that. And so after a few months of ironing out some venues that were, had fallen through and whatever, we finally were able to pinpoint a venue, and we're going to do it at Anthem Hayden. Uh, the conference is going to be on April 18th and 19th. And I will just tell you guys, you will be so blessed by this guy and his ministry. Um, the, the, the conference, again, is really geared towards helping equip Christians and, and pastors and leaders um, in how to engage the conversations around faith and sexuality and gender. And um, the, really, his whole ministry is helping to break down stereotypes, helping people understand arguments and develop thoughtful responses, and then trying to assist people in developing a proper theology around gender and sexual orientation. And he's just an amazing man. And so we're really excited to, excited to be able to host that conference here in Coeur d'Alene. There'll be people from Seattle and Spokane and probably Montana and all over coming to attend this conference. And so we're announcing it to you guys first. Um, and if you go to his website, Center of Faith, uh, centerforfaith.com, the conference is April 18th and 19th. And you guys are basically getting first dibs at signing up for that conference. There's 500 seats. And so go sign up if you're interested in that. Um, I guarantee you'll be blessed. And it'll be a really, really awesome thing for our community to host this. So. Anyhow, that's all the announcements is, announcements is that I have. Um, this morning, we're going to jump back into this study we've been doing that's kind of a Lent-ish study. Um, but the season of Lent, as I talked about last week, is the season of reflection. It's a season of repentance. It's a season uh, to help, uh, help us think about our relationship with God. And I'm praying last week was a blessing for some of you to engage this conversation around confession. Like, what does confession look like in your life? And in the season of Lent, um, maybe confession is one of those things you're going to sort of give up, confess, in order to receive God's forgiveness. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you have ever had the opportunity to either experience having a, a priest put ash on your foreheads or, um, or you've observed that from a distance when they would put a cross, like the ash cross on a forehead. But what the priest most often will say when they put that ash on their foreheads is, remember you are dust and to dust you return. 
And it leaves you with sort of this solemn feeling is, is that, that, that ash represents death. Um, it, it represents repentance. And we know that we usually go through life trying to feel alive, right? We want life to be full of life. And so it's unusual that we want to be reminded in this life of death or our mortality. Like we do not like that. It's, we wanna be reminded of how long we're gonna live, not the fact that someday we're gonna pass. And it's really when we face the reality of our mortality that we begin to discern what's important in our lives and what's not important in our lives. And so many people practice giving up something for Lent, giving up meat, giving up coffee, giving up different indulgences, giving up Facebook, giving up social media, whatever it is. People are in this season right now, the 40 days leading up to um, Good Friday and Easter Sunday. They're in this 40 days giving up something and so either they're giving something up or they're taking something on. They're trying to accomplish a new goal. But I want to sort of suggest something different for this morning. Um, last week, we talked about the 40 days leading up to Easter as being this time of preparation, this time of readying ourselves for the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we will uh, commemorate here in about a month. And... Um, my challenge last week was that you practice confession. That, that was what I had challenged us with, that in the same way many would practice giving up something for Lent in order to choose to receive something that's greater, we would be challenged to give up through confession in order to receive something greater, the, the greatest gift we could receive of all time that Christ offered us in his death and resurrection, forgiveness. And so we choose to practice confession as a giving up of our sin, as a giving up of our transgressions to receive the gift of forgiveness from the Most High God. And so I wanna do something similar today, sort of ping off of last week a little bit. Uh, we're gonna look at the practice of forgiveness this morning. Uh, and forgiveness being something that we don't just receive, but Forgiveness being something that, especially in this season, we're gonna look at giving. And so I wanna invite you guys this morning as we journey through this Lenten season to begin reflecting on your life, reflecting on your relationship with Jesus this morning. We, we often see Lent as this solemn season, right? Without seeing that it's also the season that's so full of hope. But the, the, like the words from the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi, said it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. And much of us know that it's in death that we actually find life. Like, life comes from things dying, even in, our, in, our, in nature. And it's our hope that these weeks leading up to Lent are preparing us for Easter and for resurrection. So today I wanna to invite you to think about something that's quite central to the Christian faith, forgiveness. And I want you to ponder that for a moment this morning. But forgiveness is, a cent, is like a central element in scripture. It's all over, scripture's laced with forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, and forgive us our debts or our sins or our transgressions or trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned or trespassed against us. Matthew 18, 21 and 22 says, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? and I have to forgive him. As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
There are literally dozens of passages in scripture about forgiveness, yet it's something that we still struggle with. I once heard somebody say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Unforgiveness is wreaking havoc on our culture. It's wreaking havoc on people. I mean, you talk to most counselors and they would say, many addictions, most addictions are a result of unforgiveness. People don't know what to do with this feeling that they have of unforgiveness, of bitterness and resentment that's within them. And so we turn to everything else we can in our culture and in our society in order to cope with these feelings of unforgiveness and bitterness that we have. But the reality is that forgiveness matters, right? It's, in fact, it's part of sort of the bedrock of our relationships. Without forgiveness in this very relational world we live in, life would actually become extremely unbearable. How many of you guys have ever struggled with unforgiveness in your life? Man, if it wasn't for forgiveness, life would suck. And yet it's what Jesus has offered us, not only to us, but then offered us as a gift to give to others. And forgiveness is particularly important to follower of Jesus, followers of Jesus because believers are a forgiven people, right? In, in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul says that believers should forgive as God has forgiven us. But forgiveness is not always easy, is it? it it's particularly hard when the hurt is huge and when the person who caused the hurt refuses to acknowledge what it is that they've done. And sometimes we try to pack so much into the idea of forgiveness that we pack a burden on ourselves and others that's impossible for us to bear. And that's why we need to understand what exactly forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. And even more importantly, we need to understand why it is that forgiveness even matters. Because when we do, I actually believe that we can see that forgiveness is not only possible for believers, but that it's also incredibly powerful for our lives and our relationships. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says this, and this is kind of the verse that we will launch off of this morning. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Would you pray with me as we get going? Jesus, I thank you for your church this morning. I thank you for this amazing gift we have to rally together this morning, to lift up the name of Jesus. But as we lift up the name of Jesus, we think about the specific things that Jesus has offered for us, one of which is the forgiveness of our sins. And so we gather here together really to make much of that notion, God, that you sent your one and only son to the cross to die on our behalf, that our sins would be forgiven, that our sins would be washed away, that we would be granted the newness of life and salvation through your resurrection. And so I pray this morning, God, even as we talk through this, that you begin to prick hearts in this room because I know there's those of us whose hearts are just littered with unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. And that unforgiveness and that bitterness and that, uh, that resentment we know is wreaking havoc on us. And so as we approach you this morning, Jesus, and we talk about forgiveness, I pray in your name, Jesus, that you would do the heavy lifting of getting into our hearts, reminding us this morning, God, that we are not just a forgiven people, we are a people who also forgive others. 
And Jesus, I pray that your spirit would be on the move this morning and you'd have your way amongst us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the, the word that Paul uses to describe forgiveness here is actually a grace word. It's actually the, this word that has a lot to do with favor. It's actually all about giving because God has gracious, graciously given us forgiveness, life, and salvation. We are to graciously give to others by forgiving them. And so what is forgiveness according to Paul here? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So what is forgiveness according to Paul? It's this gift that we give when we erase somebody else's sin against us from our personal list of wrongs that they've committed against us. What Paul says here about forgiveness really helps us to see what this means in practice and why it matters so much to us. And in verse 31, Paul talks about things that are opposite to forgiveness, right? All bitterness and all wrath and anger and clamor and slander, he says, should be put away from you along with all malice, he adds to it. And these are ways that we often react when people hurt us, aren't they? We, if, we, if we let the hurt take over in us, it can create this sort of gnawing resentment or like an internal rage that we feel that, that comes out in really indes, uh, destructive behaviors and destructive speech. And so these things can consume us. They can destroy our relationships amongst one another. My question for you is, are you experiencing any of the things that Paul describes here this morning? Is anybody feeling these? Is there any bitterness poisoning your soul this morning? Is there rage and anger and shouting and welling up that's welling up inside you because of what somebody has done to you? Are you talking about them slanderously? Are you lying about them or, or deliberately putting them down? Are you undermining them? Is there malice in you this morning? And like a vicious spirit seeking revenge, like God's word is telling us here that these things are opposed to forgiveness. They're anti-forgiveness. These things, he says, we must put away is the action word that Paul uses, that they destroy your life and they destroy the lives of others. It's not just your heart that pays for that. It's your inability to grant forgiveness to others that pays for that as well. And so Paul's saying that forgiveness is opposite of bitterness and rage and malice. And I think when we understand this, it helps us to be clear about what it is that forgiveness means. For example, there's also a handful of things that forgiveness is not opposed to, right? Forgiveness is not opposed to justice. Tim Keller has this amazing new book um, called For Forgive, um, where he gets into some of this, talking about like what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. But forgiveness is not opposed to justice. Like we can forgive someone and we can still seek justice. In fact, sometimes you need to seek justice, especially, for example, if the unjust situation is continuing to impact those who you, who you need to actually protect. Forgiveness is not opposed to self-protection. You can forgive someone and still act to protect yourself and other vulnerable people. Forgiveness is not opposed to truth. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to make excuses for a person who hurt you. That you can forgive someone even as you acknowledge or testify that they were responsible for doing something horrendous to you. 
Forgiveness doesn't mean saying that what happened to you was okay by any means. You can forgive a wrong and still insist that what they did was not okay. And sometimes you have to keep insisting that that was not okay. What they did was not okay, but I can still forgive the person. Forgiveness isn't opposed to remembering. Like you can forgive even if you can't bring yourself to forget. Many of you understand what I'm saying. I mean, when I think about the instances in my life that have caused the most unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment in my heart, there are things, there are situations that I cannot escape. But just because I remember them does not mean that I cannot grant forgiveness to the person that committed those acts against me. Last thing is that forgiveness isn't opposed to broken relationships. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you have to be responsible to make sure everything is happy between you and the person that hurt you. You can forgive even in a situation where the other person refuses to acknowledge the wrong or to truly repent. But forgiveness is only part of what it means to become a new person in Christ Jesus, right? Paul says, be kind to one another. He says, be tenderhearted. Forgiving one another is what Paul says. In Christ, God has made us a new person. He's actually given us a new life to live. Our old self dies away. We're resurrected in this new self. Living that life involves being renewed, a renewed peaceful people that are constantly being renewed. It means becoming more and more what God made us to be. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, he says, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He goes on to say, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Who wants that self this morning? I want that. Like that's extremely good news. So being kind means being benevolent. It means being good-willed towards someone who needs your help. And kindness is this attitude of a person in a position of strength who does something good for somebody in a, person, in, a, in a position of weakness. In Paul's day, this word kind was used to describe the action of rulers and patrons and benefactors towards their subjects and their clients. It was also often uh, used of God himself, that God is able to be kind because God is so strong. So kindness is an attitude you have when you have something to give and you deliberately choose to give that thing that you have. That is kindness. When you have knowledge of what it is you've been given and you choose to give that thing away as it's been given to you just as freely, that's kindness. So why should believers in Jesus be a kind people? Because we have a ton to give immeasurable amounts that have been given to us that we have to give to others. Through Christ's death and his resurrection, we have life and we have salvation and freedom. We have the, the, the riches of God's abundance grace, like grace upon grace that has been granted us. And even though there are times that we might feel weak in ourselves, we're actually strong in Christ. And this is what enables us to be kind to others. This means that we can forgive them Forgiveness is not a display of weakness, and oftentimes it's looked at as that. It's actually a display of kindness, and it's a display of strength. Paul says we're also to become tender-hearted, he says, which literally means having healthy guts, is what that word means. 
Paul's talking about like our gut reactions, our, our emotions. He's saying that believing in Christ should make a difference in our feelings. In particular, our feelings of rage and wrath and bitterness and malice actually should be replaced by feelings of compassion and feelings of tenderheartedness. And even though this can be a slow process, we know that God is work in, uh, at work in us by his spirit to actually make this happen. And we know that the healing of our emotions can go a long way towards enabling us to forgive. God himself gives us this model of forgiveness. Paul says we should forgive as God in Christ forgave you. And so Paul describes God's forgiveness earlier in Ephesians when he says, God has given us this grace in the one he dearly loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And this forgiveness is at the heart of our relationship with Jesus. It's at the heart of our relationship with God. God has erased our sins. He's removed his wrath from you and I. He's raised us from death to life. He's been incredibly kind. He's been incredibly uh, compassionate towards us. And we now look forward to this secure, this sort of glorious future in Christ as a result of this because God has forgiven us. Like we have a reason and we have the strength to then forgive others. Just as God has erased our sins and he sees us as holy and blameless through Jesus, so we can and we should seek to do the same for others, to erase the sins of others from our list of wrongs against them. And I think this is where it's important to be clear about what forgiveness is and what it isn't. Because forgiveness means erasing the sins of others from your personal list of wrongs that they've done against you. This doesn't depend on other people. It's something that you can do. You have the power to do it. And nobody else can stop us from granting this towards other people. However, there are things that can flow from and sort of happen alongside of forgiveness, things like repentance and things like acknowledgement and reconciliation and justice and restoration and, and relationship. These things do depend on other people. Like reconciliation happens as a result of two people choosing to reconcile. And these things are definitely good to seek. They're things that are definitely good to pray for, but something that I'm currently learning in my life as a result of several situations that I wanna be clear about. You can forgive somebody without any of these other things happening because it's a choice that you make. You can grant forgiveness without reconciliation happening. I struggle with that. I'm a person who always wants people to like me. I always wanna be on their good side. And so I struggle when I'm in situations where there's any sort of rift between me and somebody else. Like, and in my mind, it's like forgiveness can't be had until full reconciliation happens, until we love each other, like each other, just as much as we used to. And the reality is forgiveness can be had even if reconciliation isn't granted. Because I can choose to do that. I can act on that. Because I've been given it, I can choose to give it. You can erase somebody's sin from this personal list of wrongs that you have, whether or not they repent or whether or not justice is done and, and whether or not the relationship is restored because forgiveness is something you're not dependent on others to do. This is the amazing part, is that it's yours to give. 
It's yours to give. Now, my mind naturally starts asking questions like, isn't God's forgiveness also connected to other things like repentance and reconciliation? And it is. But that's why we need to be precise as we read through what it is that Paul is actually saying here. We're told to forgive like God, is what Paul says. Not to be like God, but to forgive like God. So then, if you are a believer in Christ, how are you doing this morning at extending grace to others? How are you doing at extending forgiveness to others? How are you doing with giving in the sense of giving, forgiving? How are you doing with extending this forgiveness to others? Do you hold on to the hurts that have been done against you? Do you nurse the bitterness and sort of fan the rage and the malice into a flame that exists in your own heart? And if you do this, even in the little things, you need to sort of turn around and lift your eyes to see what it is that Christ has done for you. He's forgiven you so that you can forgive. And maybe some of you in this room have been hurt like really badly by somebody. Maybe someone has sinned horrendously against you. Maybe they've abused you or you used their power against you. Maybe they've robbed you of a piece of yourself. I mean, there's deep wounds that exist in this building. Or maybe you're even sort of unjustly imprisoned, like imprisoned, like Paul, who it is that's writing this letter. And if that's you, then I want you to know that I'm not using my words to try to compel you or try to force you to forgive. And I'm not gonna keep telling you to forgive until you sort of cave in to my request this morning. And I hope you never do that to somebody else who's been deeply hurt. Instead, what I want to do is what Paul keeps doing in Ephesians, is to remind you of who you are. That you're a child of God that you are dearly loved by him. That in the very next verse after this, in chapter five, verse one, Paul says, so then, become imitators of God as dearly loved children. God loves you deeply, and we know that God is strong, and this is where the power to forgive comes from, that even if you don't feel it right now, you are, in fact, completely secure in his love for you. There's nothing that can separate you from that. God loves you that much. So much so that he chose to give his love to you. That that he has so much to give and he actually gave it all to you. That he loves you that much. That you can be assured that he loves you because he sent his only son, Jesus, to die for you. And because you're a dearly loved child of God, church, you have the power to forgive. You have the power to be kind. You have the power to be compassionate just like your loving heavenly father is the same. You can be like him. You can be powerful like this. And there's nobody who can take the power of forgiveness away from you. For some of you, there might also be a need for reconciliation in some of your lives with somebody else, which may simply mean seeking that person out. And that process of reconciliation often depends on the other person wanting to reciprocate what it is you're offering to them. And most definitely, if there's gonna be any hope of restoration in a relationship, the person who wronged you will need to repent, but that's up to them. But here's where I've been challenged recently in some of my own battles with unforgiveness, is that even without these things, 
even without restoration of relationship or the person who wronged you being repentant, you yourself still have the power to forgive. And that power doesn't depend on anyone else's actions or anybody else's attitudes. They have no power over you in this. And so with the help of Jesus Christ, you can let go of bitterness. You can let go of rage and anger, shouting, slander, malice. You can let that go and you can begin to give. You can forgive because you were actually forgiven, that you're a dearly loved child of God. And so as we approach this next week in the season of Lent, my questions for you is, does unforgiveness, bitterness, rage, wrath, anger, slander, malice, does that exist in your heart this morning? Are you going into this week with that? What would it look like for you to seek Jesus's forgiveness this week in an effort to extend the forgiveness that he's granted to you? What would that look like? Can we choose to forgive this week? Can we choose to prayerfully seek Jesus in this process? And I think this is a practice that this world has long forgotten. But Jesus' church should hold this practice in really high regard because it's the precipice of our faith. Forgiveness is like the culmination of it all, that we were granted this. We should not be a people who hold on to it and don't freely give it. But maybe this morning you're not a person that's struggling with unforgiveness or even somebody who's committed an act towards somebody else that you need to act, ask for forgiveness for. But a stat I read this week says that one in four professed followers of Jesus claim that they can identify someone that they cannot forgive. One in four. A quarter of the church says they can identify one person that they cannot forgive. And as a people of peace, we aren't a people that just seek forgiveness. We're a people that actually desire to even help others find forgiveness. One of the most amazing moments for me when I was in Israel last was standing on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. And um, we were standing there and we opened up our Bibles and we we're reading through John chapter 9. And there's that story. I mean, there's only several places you go to in Israel where you're standing literally on the ground that Jesus walked on. I mean, in most places, it's just like there's three layers down Jesus was on, and it's been built over and built over and built over. But we're standing on the, su the southern steps, and I'm literally having this moment. I'm like, Jesus actually was on these steps. And we're reading through John 9, and there's a story in John 9 where Jesus reaches down, and he spits in some dirt and he rubs it in between his fingers and then he rubs it on a blind man's eyes. Do you guys remember that story? He rubs it on his eyes and then what does Jesus tell the blind man to go do? He says, go walk to the pool of Siloam and there you will find your healing. I'm standing on the southern steps and I looked at our guide that was with us and I said, where's the pool of Siloam? Like, I wanna see it, you know? Like, because in my mind, when I read this story, I'm thinking like, it's right there, right? Jesus rubs it on his eyes, and the guy just kind of stumbles his way over into the pool, falls in, he's healed, like it just happens. So I'm like, where's the pool of Siloam? And the guy looks at me and goes, about a mile that way. And I'm like, what? A mile? He's like, yeah, you gotta go down this hill, you gotta go around this road, down there, we're gonna go down there next, we're gonna walk down there, and I'll let you see the pool of Siloam. And I'm thinking like, a mile? Nobody's ever told me this before. How did the guy get down to the pool? And what you realize in that moment is he didn't get there alone, did he? In fact, Jesus spits on the ground, 
rubs the mud between his fingers, wipes it on the guy's eye, sends him down to the pool knowing that that's where his healing would come from. Jesus knows in an instant that he could heal the guy right then and there, right? But Jesus sends him to walk a mile. It's super weird. But when you think about the story and the impact of the, the, the weight of this, that somebody grabbed the dude by the arm and led him down to his place of healing, that actually part of the story isn't just the man goes down to the pool to get healed in the pool of Siloam, but that somebody else felt the unction to walk the guy down to the place that he could find healing. So some of you in this room are people who you struggle with forgiveness. Either you've done something to somebody else that you need to ask forgiveness for, or you're somebody who somebody has done something to you that you can't seem to conjure up the forgiveness to give to them. Or third, and this will make up the whole room this morning, you may not struggle with unforgiveness, but you're the person to grab the people who struggle with it and walk them to their place of healing. Because we're people of peace. When Jesus promises that there's a healing that awaits them, sometimes you're the one to grab them and say, forgiveness can be had. And it needs to be granted. How can I help in getting you to that place? Or when you're looking at two friends that cannot make amends with one another and reconcile and grant forgiveness to each other, that you, as a follower of Jesus, should be the person to stand up and say, let that not be so with us. What would it take for forgiveness to be had between you two? That's my prayer for us in this next week. As you seek your heart, search out your hearts, and you seek the Lord, and you try to figure out, like, what is it that Jesus is leading you in in this next week? Is there forgiveness that you have to grant to somebody? And I realize that it's easier said than done. But what I can promise you is that Scripture is very clear. That in the same way forgiveness was granted to you, you in the same power that Jesus was able to grant us forgiveness can grant forgiveness to somebody else. For those of you in this room that have maybe committed an act against somebody, man, I'm praying this week that there may be repentance and acknowledgement of your own wrongdoing to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness so that can be had, your heart can be cleared. And then lastly, like I said, for those of you in this room this next week, you might have to step into a situation and be the person of peace. And will you choose to do that even when it pins you against the two people that do not want to be around one another? Or it means that you're putting yourself in a situation that's difficult because you want to stand for peace. You want to get that person to their place of healing. I wanna leave you guys with one last verse and ask the worship team to come up. But this verse impacted me greatly while I was preparing this week. We were sitting in sermon group and Josh Borges blurts out this verse and I'm just like, it hit me like straight in the heart. Mark 11, 24 and 25. It says, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Sounds easy, right? Verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Whenever you stand praying,
forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. How many of us are guilty of standing and praying and harboring unforgiveness in our hearts? How many of us are guilty of walking into this room Sunday morning we're like, I'm here to worship Jesus, you know? And it's like, I wanna get on it, let's do it, Jesus. Like, I wanna serve you. And the minute you walk in and you start to worship, there's this little reminder in your heart of like, it's time to get rid of that anger and that malice and that bitterness, that resentment that exists in your heart. And you're like, nah, I just wanna worship. Shove it away, shove it away, shove it away. But the reminder in this passage, whenever you stand praying, whenever you go to him, first acknowledge the unforgiveness that might be in you. Like, clear that path between you and the Lord. I'm not sure where the majority of you are at this morning, but I will say I'm a 44-year-old pastor that struggles with unforgiveness. I've seen some crazy things in my tenure in ministry. I've felt some crazy opposition. I've heard some crazy things. And I often stand there before the Lord and say, God, I, I want to be a person that first and foremost receives forgiveness from you, and second, will grant that to others, whether or not I see full reconciliation with them. But it's freeing your own heart from the havoc that's being wreaked on it by the enemy. And I will tell you, I know this is like kind of a downer and a heavy ender, but if there's one issue I deal with people more than anything else as I sit and counsel people, it's this. It's unforgiveness that causes them to lash out at their families, to lash out at their friends, lash out at their spouse. It's unforgiveness that causes them to go down these paths to try to do whatever they can to make themselves feel good so they don't feel that bitterness and that resentment, that malice and that anger. It's unforgiveness that causes them to sometimes sit idly and do nothing with their faith because they don't feel worthy enough to use what it is that God gave them because they themselves are a sinner. And I'm gonna tell you this morning, Jesus bled and Jesus died to grant you this amazing gift. May it be something that you received this morning. And I'm praying that it may be something that you give this week. And I'm praying that it might be an opportunity for you to lead somebody in the process of forgiveness this week so that we can be the people of peace. He says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. If you want that light load, cast off these things. Nobody else can do that for you. You do that. You make a choice to forgive, to release your heart from the things that are wreaking havoc on it. Would you guys stand with me? Just bow your heads. If you're here this morning, maybe you're somebody that would say like, I'll be honest, that forgiveness is something that um, seems to be wreaking havoc on my heart and I struggle with. 
I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Thanks. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I thank you so much for these hands that are raised. I thank you for their boldness, their courage. And I pray you'd meet them in this place this morning, Jesus. That your love would overwhelm them, God. That your grace would abound in their lives as they see what it is that you've done for them right now, Jesus. Would they receive your forgiveness? Can they take a deep breath knowing that the price you paid was the ultimate price to free their hearts from unforgiveness? And would they be a people in their freedom that would go and begin to extend that forgiveness to others? And I just thank you for their lives, Lord. And I pray against the enemy and just his deceptive plan to steal, kill, and destroy, to come at us in the heart, to literally use unforgiveness to pin us down and to keep us from you. And Jesus, this morning, remind us, open our hearts and open our minds to the truth that you're with us and that you love us, that your forgiveness is for us no matter what we've done or no matter what's been done to us. May we take a deep breath this morning in the forgiveness and the salvation of the Lord. And Jesus, I pray for the rest of your church that as we exit these four walls, um, God, this is just a small thing that happens here for a couple hours on a Sunday morning. What happens with the church happens outside of these walls when we exit. And I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people of peace, that we would be known as a people that would walk people to forgiveness, that would literally walk people to their place of healing, that we would be a people that would not settle for unforgiveness and settle for irreconcilable differences and settle for all of the things that the world does where it's just we walk away we ruin relationships but as the church I pray that we would be a people that would be united together that would not allow anything to come in between us and would be a people that would receive forgiveness and extend forgiveness and as we enter this next week and we're just thoughtful about this Lenten season I pray, Jesus, that every day we'd get up and ask, is there anything in my heart that needs to be dealt with this morning, Jesus? Show me what it looks like to walk in freedom, to be released from these things, and to release others from the unforgiveness that I have. In Jesus' mighty, mighty, mighty name we pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you're somebody that needs prayer, whether that be an ailment on your body, a relational issue that you're going through, unforgiveness in your heart, whatever it is, our prayer team is going to be up here by these carpets. And I would ask you guys to just come forward and receive prayer this morning if you're feeling the unction to do so. Don't let anybody get in the way of that. I mean, I pray that we are a praying church, a church that truly trusts that Jesus can heal, that he does heal, a church that truly trusts that we can come before Jesus in unity with others and seek him for healing in our lives. And so if that's you this morning, come grab one of our prayer team members. I'd love to pray with you. And as we worship this morning, may we worship in freedom, knowing that just as we were given, freely we were given, freely we've received, freely we give. And our worship is a part of that, that we turn now to sing songs and acknowledge Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, that there's nobody that comes to 
God the Father except through Jesus. And we're going to acknowledge him. We're going to lift him up. We're going to worship him, honor him, give him the glory and the honor that his name deserves. Amen? Let's sing.